Good morning, good morning. So lovely to see you on this snowy February morning. My name is Lisa. I am the Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Equipping here at Christ City Church. We're so glad that you've joined us. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 3. And it reads, Jesus left with his disciples and went to the lake. A large crowd followed him because they had heard what he was doing. They were from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the area surrounding Tyre and Sidon. Jesus told his disciples to get a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. He had healed so many people that everyone who was sick pushed forward so that they could touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down at his feet and shouted, You are God's son. But he strictly ordered them not to reveal who he was. Jesus went up on a mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to throw out demons. He appointed 12, Peter, a name he gave Simon, James and John, Zebedee's sons, whom he nicknamed Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son, Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ City Church. Hey, my name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here uh, at Christ City. Listen, I'm just going to tell you straight up what's up. Um, because that's how it is. I'm not going to... I'm going to tell you the truth. And here's what's up. So, Reverend Dr. Justin Fong, he was supposed to preach today. All right, because I preached last week. And we alternate. My man calls me up. Two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm laid up, man. I'm enjoying my Sabbath, enjoying the weekend. Says, man, I can't do it. I'm sick. I say, yo, I'm ready to preach prayer or die at a moment's notice. But, I, but I'm going to let you know my feet were up. I was horizontal. Love y'all. Wasn't thinking about y'all, about the word of God, nothing. But man, I had to get up. And so whatever comes out of my mouth this morning, maybe from the Holy Spirit, May not be. We're going we're gonna to have to collectively discern together. I know you're watching, uh, Justin. Love you. Here, honored to serve. You owe me one, my man. So that's what's up. That's the truth. Hey, listen, a couple of things I want you to know. Uh, Ash Wednesday is two and a half weeks away. I don't know how fast your 2020 is going, but mine's lightning speed, yo. Um, so let's, uh, Ash Wednesday uh, Lent two weeks away. Easter is two months away. So here's the thing that I want you to think about just as we move through this. I want you to consider how the Spirit might want to shape you this Lenten season. I don't want it to sneak up on you. I don't want you to be sort of the night before, you know, eating your king cake or whatever and, and thinking about what's up. And, and it kind of, st- I want you to think how might the Spirit want to use you this Lenten season? What does He want to do in you? What, what might the Spirit want to stir in you? So begin thinking about that now and, and begin processing that in your small groups and, and as you're praying and as you're reflecting. So that's up. Uh, here's, you know, we sung about this. Here's what I want, here's what I want you to, to think about this morning. I want you to think about a time where your name was called. 
okay? And I don't mean like in a bad way, but I mean like in a, like in a good, like endearing way. When was the last time that your name was called? It might have been you were selected for a team and you, they called your name. Maybe you were selected for an honor. You received a trophy of some sort for some outstanding thing. Maybe it was like you, they selected you for a specific purpose or a specific task. You got it? When was the last time that your name was called? Got it? I just want you to shout out a word or a phrase when that happened. Somebody talk to me. When was the last time your, your name was called in, a, in, in like a good way? Hey, that's it. I like it. I like it. Somebody else. Word or phrase. Through the mask. Loud and proud. I know most of y'all's names. I'm going to call on your name. What's up? Uh-oh. What's the, what song was it? Okay, all right, all right, we'll take that, we'll take that. All right, all right. When the last time your name was called? Somebody over here, what you got? I got promoted on Wednesday. Hey! That's it. They said, David, come on up. What else? One more, one more. Hey, that's what's up. Shout, that's it. All right, look. I, I'll take it. I'll take it. Did they call Eric or was it like E? Or what, how was it? He said, happy birthday, Eric. Hey, yo, happy birthday, Eric. That's it. All right, here's the, here's the, that's good. But, I mean, we all like our names to be called, right? Um, I'm in ninth grade, all right? Skyline High School, freshman year, playing wide receiver. I was a little bit down on the, you know, on the depth chart, but, you know, I wasn't mad about it. We get to the last game of the season, facing the Brian Adams Cougars, all right? We'd run this play. It's kind of a common play. You guys may have heard of it. It's called the hook and ladder, where wide receiver runs out, runs a button hook, quarterback throws it to him, and then he pitches it. It's kind of a trick play. Pitches it to the, to the running back, all right? We'd run it a couple of times through the season, but on this, but it, it wasn't my number. They, they called it to the other side of the field. This time, they called it to my side of the field. Called my number, all right? So Watson was going to run out. Right, this was, I was younger then. They, I had a nickname that called me Red. So it was Red's play. So I go out. I said, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I line up. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to catch this. I'm going to pitch it back. The running back was Kevin Avery, good buddy of mine. We're still friends today. We've grown up together in the apartment complex. Kevin Avery's going to come around. So I knew I'm, I'm going to run out. I'm going to hook. I'm going to catch it from Jimmy Hooper, and then I'm going to pitch it back to Kevin Avery. I line up. The defensive back looks at me square in the face looks back to the backfield, looks me square in the face, and then turns around and says, they're going to run the hook and ladder. I said, oh, man. And I knew if I run out, button hook, catch the pass, and then pitch it to Kevin, Kevin is getting smashed. Now, Kevin's a big dude. He could probably take it, but I don't want to do Kevin like that. So here's what I did. I said, all right, bet. So I take off, run, seven yards, hook, catches it. I fake the pitch. What's up? They all go to Kevin. I turn around, and I'm gone, baby. <laughs> Just a red streak where I used to be, man. And that was it. Got tackled on the two-yard line. But, you know, that's another part of the story. It was, it was great. I came up. Everybody was hyping me up on the sideline. Yo, what's up, Watson, Watson, Watson? I loved that my name was called. Like I was just like I was on cloud nine. I don't even know if we won or lost the game, but I don't know what I did. <laughs> you just like your number to be called. You like your name to be called, right? Like we like, we like that. I, you know, look, I'm 47 years old. Here's what happened. A couple, couple, uh, couple weeks ago, actually. 
I'm dropping Nate, my son, off at the, off at, at the high school, Wilson High School. All right, I drop him off. I'm driving past. I see some of his buddies walking across the street, heading to the school because it's right before school started. I roll down my window because I'm never going to let an opportunity pass for me to shout at somebody out of my car. I roll down the window. I say, hey, y'all get school, Diego, what's up? And all the crew, all the crowd, and all these guys, they, they just exploded. Oh, Mr. Watson! And then they call me by my gamer tag, my uh, Watsonopolis. Oh, what's up, Watsonopolis? And they're just like walking into the schoolhouse shouting my name. I'm like, that's right, I'm still cool. I'm still the guy at the high school. What's up? Because every, everybody likes, likes to have their name called. Whether, you, whether you're young and just starting out, even whether you're old and kind of long, long in it. In, in Mark 3, what we see is what happens when, when, Jesus, when Jesus calls our names. And what happens in that moment and why he calls and for what reason. Mark 3, we're picking up the story here in verse 7. If you have your Bibles or your apps, you can go ahead and open it up. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd, a big crowd, not a small one, a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all about what he was doing, many people, it wasn't just a few people, many people, came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the large crowd, I tried to tell you I was a large crowd, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, keep the people from crowding him. For he'd heal many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You're the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell him. What, uh, what, you, what sort of jumps out, um, just real quickly, you, you want to notice the repetition of words there. Of crowds and large crowds and people and they're crowding them and they're pushing in. And There's a couple of things I think that Mark's trying to uh, articulate to us. One is that we have just seen Jesus being rejected by the religious leaders of the day. But he's being embraced by the crowds, by the people. He's being welcomed by those, not those that have some religious stake in the game, but those that are just in a place of desperation. But the other thing that's happening there with, with these, this ongoing turn of phrase about crowds and crowded and push and people is there's almost kind of this claustrophobic effect that's happening around Jesus that he's, that he's feeling the pressure and the press and, and the weight of the crowds and the weight of the moment that there's, that there's a measure of vulnerability around Jesus when he's surrounded by the people. You see, um, what is going on here is that Jesus is he's beginning to feel the, the, the pressure and the push of this moment that he's in. Jesus is divinely powerful, yet in this moment he is humanly vulnerable. Even, even in the crowd with the pressing and the pressure that Jesus is able to identify with our vulnerabilities. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is he's just always most vulnerable at the hands of people. He's not, he's not the most vulnerable when he's like in the desert facing the devil. Neither is he most vulnerable when he's like facing the demons of the people that, 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 that the demons have, have, have sort of possessed. He's not the most vulnerable there. He's not even the most nervous there. He's not, he's not the most vulnerable when he's at the, the gatherings and he's casting out demons. He's, he's, throughout the Gospels, he's the most vulnerable when he's at the hands of, of people. I, um, I watched a movie uh, before Justin called me yesterday. 
Um, I was watching this show on Netflix, Don't Look Up. You guys seen that? I'm not trying to spoil it, but if you haven't seen it by now, like, you know, I, I don't tell you. But in the story, like a comet is about to come and like, like destroy the planet. And the, the scientists are running around, they're trying to get everybody to, you know, like do something. And what struck me about this, even just looking at Mark 3, is that the most dangerous sort of character in the show is actually not the comets, even, even though the comets has been bearing down on the, on the planet. It's actually the people and their inactivity and their distraction and their disillusionment. They're, the most dangerous thing is the people, it's not the comet. Like similarly, Jesus is Throughout the Gospels, he's the most vulnerable when he's in the hands of people. What it tells me is that Jesus understands our vulnerabilities. He understands the pressure and the pressing weight of the world that can rest on our shoulders. He, he understands the weight of other people's hopes that can rest on you. He can understand the weight of other people's expectations of you. And so he feels, and so Mark says that the crowd is there, and it's pressing and it's pushing on him and he's like, I gotta step out a little bit I gotta get in a boat not a big one but a small one I'll step out so that I can speak to the crowd interesting thing about the crowd by the way not just that there's a bunch of them but the locations what's up buddy of where they're from since they're from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea that they're from across the Jordan and they're from Tyre and Sidon this is sort of a radiating um collection of towns and villages where they're from. Judea, which is Jewish, and it's very, you know, sort of the nearest parts of the place of where Jesus is from. Jerusalem, also it's the capital of Judea and Israel. But Idumea, uh, it's 100 miles south of Jerusalem. People from across the Jordan, from modern-day Jordan and Syria, they're also there. People from Tyre and Sidon, which is along the Mediterranean coast, which is north up in Lebanon. And so what you see is not just Jewish folks that have showed up, but also Gentiles. And not just people from sort of the centers of power, but from those that have radiated out. Mark is wanting the readers to know that Jesus is essentially, he's attracting the world to himself. And that he welcomes them all, whatever languages or customs or tribes, that God is a globally welcoming God and that Jesus receives everyone, however, whomever, and from wherever they are from. Jesus receives them all. And why, why do they come? Why do they, why do they sort of show up in this place and begin pressing on them? Because they want something. They don't just show up necessarily because they have heard that he's a gifted teacher, although he has taught in the synagogues. We see throughout Mark 1, 2, and 3 that Jesus continues to teach. But that's not the primary reason why they've showed up here. And they're not there necessarily to just follow this wandering rabbi, though some have. They come because they have heard he has the power to heal. They're wanting someone, something from Jesus. They come because there's a, there's a brokenness, there's a, there's a woundedness there that they're hoping that Jesus can heal for them. So they come because of, a, a, because of self-interest. And what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. He doesn't send them away. He doesn't chastise them. He's like, oh, you're just here because you can get something from me. He doesn't, he doesn't shame them because they show up. 
And the thing is, is that it's okay to come to Jesus with your brokenness and because of your brokenness. Jesus doesn't shame you because of that. He says, you're welcome. Come to me. That's okay. However it is that you've arrived from wherever it is that you've arrived, however you've stumbled into this place, or maybe some folks like broke open the, the, the roof so that you can see me, however it is that you've come here, that's okay. We're glad you're here. There's no noble reasons for which we seek out a savior. The thing is, and church, please don't talk yourself out of coming to Jesus because you're in a jam. All of us are in a jam. Just come. Just hear his invitation to come to the Lord. And so they come. They come from all over. They come because they're needy. They come from a bunch of different places and different backgrounds, but they come because they know that Jesus has the power and strength to heal and to right all that is wrong. Verse 12, he, as people are coming, those that are being frustrated by and, and, and that are possessed by, by demonic forces, Jesus says to them in, in verse 12, he, he, he speaks to those impure spirits, it says in verse 11, and and then he gives those impure spirits, he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus, he's, he has control over impure spirits. And I just want to touch on this real quickly. There's other places throughout the Gospels where, or throughout Mark, where there's, this, there's a messianic secret, where they know that he's the Son of God, they know that he's the Messiah, they know that he's the Savior. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. When he heals a leper in chapter 1, he tells the leper, uh, see that you don't tell this to anybody. The leper goes away. In Mark 1, 34, tells a demon not to speak because he knew who Jesus was. Jesus doesn't, uh, by the way, and the leper goes away and then he tells everybody. Um, Jesus is like, ah. Oh. And, and, and so in biblical scholarship is called the messianic secret that's taking place in Mark. And not to go into the, too, too many of the nerdy details of it. But the thing is that Jesus, he doesn't yet want his, his kingship and his messiahship to spread prematurely. There's a message that he wants to soak. He doesn't state explicitly why, but the sense that we get from the Gospels is that people would, there would be a certain expectation upon his, his kingly role. You see, they would want a warrior king. They would want a political king. They would, they would, they would want a, 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 they would expect Jesus to lead in a certain way, and Jesus would attract violence from Rome and from the Jewish leaders before the time had come. And so Jesus wants to continue to preach and to demonstrate the nearness of his kingdom before he makes the turn towards the cross. And so here in his first year of his three-year ministry, he says, let's keep it on the DL for a minute. This is foreshadowing the tension that builds, that will build throughout Mark's gospel. The other thing... I think about, just to say about Jesus and his addressing the demonic, the, the scriptures assume the presence of impure spirits. It doesn't make a case like, hey, if you're suspicious of them, here's what you should know. The, the Bible just, just assumes it for a fact and just states it this way. And I think sometimes for 21st century here is we, we're not sure what to make of this. We, we don't hold that same assumption sometimes. I think um, I may have shared this story at other points, but it bears repeating. 
I remember um, I was uh, working with some, uh, with some church planters and community developers in, um, in India. And w- we were looking at some of their community development projects. They were um, starting micro-enterprises. They had started schools. They were working um, with uh, children that uh, were living in a, a certain um, slum community in Delhi. They were just doing really amazing work, um, utilizing technology and uh, micro-loans and the, the strength of um, neighborhoods to address and alleviate uh, poverty. They were also working with church planters that were kind of more in some kind of rural communities up in northern India. And I remember in, in both places kind of talking about different things and, and as it relates to the ways that the enemy frustrates the work of God and the kingdom of God in people's lives and in different spheres of life. And I remember we were in one uh, church plant up in northern um, India and a man had come in with his wife and his wife said, he's, he's being frustrated by uh, an impure spirit. I've never had someone walk in with their spouse and be like, hey. Now I've had folks be like, hey, can you talk to him, Pastor? But i never had someone come in and be like, here's, here's the struggle. And so they pulled him aside, and um, some of the elders of the church, they began praying, and they prayed for him for a bit. And, and then later they, they left, and then the, um, the, the women of the church began to pray over him. And, and as they prayed and as they spoke to the, to the impure spirits that were in him, he just began to groan. He began to sort of writhe and... And I'm watching this, and as I'm watching our uh, friend Ramesh, he comes up to me and he goes, hey, are you ready for lunch? And I'm like, well, yeah, but what's up? Because the guy's on the ground, and it seems like he's a little frustrated. And Ramesh says, well, the <laughs> like very matter of fact, I said, well, the women have him. And sometimes this doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. I said, he's, he's being frustrated by an impure spirit. I said, all right, cool. And I went to lunch. <laughs> a couple of days later, we're uh, in one of the schools that they had established, and um, it was a school for kiddos, but it was also um, a job training program, and um, they were doing some micro-loans, micro-enterprise. And he was talking about it and, and explaining it. And I was still thinking about what had happened in the church plants up in northern India, and I said, Ramesh, do you see, like, like what I saw there, do you see it happen here? He goes, yes, all the time. He said, but here what happens is, as many times as not, is that the demonic forces, they take the, the face of poverty and depression. And we're still exercising demons, but it looks different here than it did there. Because the enemy takes different forms and different shapes, but both of them are exercising demons and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And it helped me think a bit more broadly about the ways that the enemy does frustrate and hang and cling to people the ways that we may be inclined to greed or to supremacy or that we'll listen to scripts that tell us who we are and who we're not. And those are the the realities of impure spirits that wage against our soul and against our world. So Jesus is there and he's speaking to it and he's saying, no, I'm casting those out. Mark continues in verse 13. Jesus went up to a mountainside and he called them. He called to him those he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority and to drive out demons. And these are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, who gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee and his brothers, and his brother John. To them he gave the names Wangers, 
I'm not sure I said that right. We'll keep moving. Which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Jesus, the, the word there is that, he, that he, calls, he calls the disciples. This is the third calling episode that we will see in Mark's gospel. In chapter 1, Jesus calls Simon and Andrew. He uses this phrase. He calls them. He says, follow me. And then a bit later, he calls Matthew in chapter 2, or Levi, says, follow me. And then here in Mark 3, Jesus calls those to himself. What's, interestingly, what's interesting about this is that traditionally, um, within the Jewish tradition, uh, devotees to a certain rabbi, they would actually go to the rabbi and say, could I follow you? Could, could, could I follow you? Could I be discipled by you? So it was on the, the disciple to express their desire to the rabbi. And the rabbi could, you know, give them tasks or test them. Oftentimes they would be rejected. No, you can't follow me. Go find somebody else. But here in this instance, what we see is that Jesus is the one that is initiating. Jesus is the one that is inviting and that's doing the welcoming because Jesus is always the one that initiates first with us. He lets you know, I'm, I'm pursuing you, child. I, I, I want you to come to me and to be with me. The thing is, what Mark is articulating here is that Jesus is calling them to be with them, but he sort of has kind of these four steps or these four things that he identifies as these four movements of why Jesus is calling them. He says that he calls them that they might be with him. The verse, verse 13 says, Jesus went to the mountain and called to him those he wanted and they came to them he appointed 12 that they might be with him he just wanted them to come and just to and just to sit with him just to just to well just to follow him but not just to be with him but that that he might send them and not just to send them but what would they do when they would be sent but that they would preach and that they would drive out demons and there's an order of operations here that the be and the send, they kind of go together, and then the, the preach and the drive out demons, they, they go together. The first was, was that Jesus said, I want you to come to me. I just want you to, to, to be with me. And this wasn't just like proximity, like be with them, like just kind of hang in his close, uh, you know, nearness to him, but rather that they might reorder their lives according to the kingdom of God, that that's what he wanted them to know as they walked with him and followed him around. He wanted them to adjust their hopes that might match more closely to the kingdom of God. He wanted them to, uh, to aim their affections and their desires so as they might align with those of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching and that Jesus was displaying. Let me ask you, if, if you think through, I mean, I know we're still kind of at the front end of 2022. If, if all of your hopes and all of your dreams and all of your pursuits that you have in your mind, or maybe you wrote them out in a journal, if all of those, if all of those happened in 2022, like whatever they are, whatever, whatever they were, like the books you wanted to read, the workout plans, the diet, the trips you wanted to, like whatever those plans were that you have for 2022, if all of them came to fruition, would your life more faithfully reflect the kingdom? Would our world more more faithfully display the love and care and embrace and invitation of God's, of God's kingdom? Or if they all came true, would, would you just look like a better version of you? Not that that's a bad thing. 
but it may not be the best thing. Like, like, and I think that's what it means when Jesus says, I want you to come and, and, and be, with, be with me. I want your life to be reordered around my life. I want your, your affections and your desires and your aims to be reoriented around this kingdom that I'm trying to proclaim and display in your presence. Eugene Peterson, he states it this way, to, to be a disciple means that we are a people who spend our lives apprenticed to Jesus. Our lives apprenticed to Jesus. We are in a growing, learning relationship always with God. A disciple is a learner, but not in the academic schoolroom sense of the word, but rather in a work site form of apprenticeship, like a craftsman. We don't acquire information about God, but skills in faith. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple, a learner, and an apprentice, not simply a consumer of wise sayings or even just a beneficiary of Christ's redemptive work. To be a disciple is one, is to be one who has been with and who has followed and learned from Jesus. And yet it is more than that. Verse 14 Mark says that, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. You see, the aim of, of the disciples of Jesus, it wasn't only and ever to just remain with Jesus, but it was to be shaped by him and then to carry that out into the world. Jesus sends them. Even as we are disciples, yet we are sent. Just as God the Father sends the Son and the Son sends the Spirit, so too are we a sent people as those that follow Jesus. And by the way, we're not sent, and neither were the disciples. Like, they came to Jesus, and then Jesus sent them out, and then they came back, and then Jesus sent them out again. I think sometimes we think about, well, we'll only be sent out after we have been with Jesus for a certain number of days or times or years or moments or movements or seasons, and Jesus says, no. Part of your discipleship is in your sending and returning. We don't wait to some point where we think we've got it all together or have learned it all or think that we can then teach somebody something. No, it's a part of the ongoing process. It is not after they have learned something, but while they are learning something that they are sent. And what did he send them to do? Send them to preach and to drive out demons. So church, go preach and drive out the demons. <laughs> like, whoa, what's up? I, you know, sometimes preaching, like, it's just to tell the stories of what the kingdom is like. Just to tell the stories of what the kingdom is, has been like in your life or where you've seen it on the move in your world. And to tell that story as beautifully or as awkwardly as you can. To tell it to yourself, to tell it to your roommate, to tell it to those in your small group, to tell it to whoever's going to listen. We've told it to one another today. As we've sung together, he knows my name. That is a form of preaching and proclaiming this gospel good news. Preach that not just here, but out there. And to say, I know that there's like 8 billion people on the planet, but guess what? God knows my name, he knows yours too. And display that to the world around. That's what preaching and proclamation is. It's to be heralds of this story of salvation and liberation that was on the way and is very near. So we're to be storytellers. 
and we are to drive out the demons. We are to be exercisers. We are to be liberators, participating in the same liberation that Jesus displayed in Mark's gospel. We are to cast out the demons that envelop, that are in the lives of those that are enveloped by lies of the enemy to be liberators of communities that are wrestling to be free from the enemies of oppression, even as we are also awaiting our own freedom and liberation. But who does he send? I love that he names who they are. Listen, names, and some of them he like, Jesus renames. You know, maybe Jesus gives you a new name. I am... Um, I grew up, I shared earlier, I grew up with a nickname. Uh, back when I had hair, it was bright red, so guys in the neighborhood called me Red. Um, even today, like when it's my birthday on Facebook and people start saying happy birthday to me, Lisa can go through and she knows at what point did people know me by how they wish me happy birthday. So if you guys go through, you see a bunch of happy birthday Reds, you know, oh, those are guys from around the block that knew him back in the day. Some of you that call me pastor something, then we're newer friends, and I praise God for that too. But he names them, and some of them he renames. He called them to spend time with him, to be with him. And then he sends them out, and he invites them to return back. And he sends them out and invites them to come back. But he sends them out to proclaim and to demonstrate the kingdom. It's this cadence of proclamation and demonstration of sitting with Jesus and being sent from Jesus. It's this, this rhythm, it's this motion, it's this... It's this music, it's this dance that we dance with the Lord. But it began with an invitation that Jesus extended when he called them. When he called Simon and James, when he called Andrew and John. But it continues today, does it not? That same invitation. He still extends it to us, to me, and to you. He sees you, and he calls, and he says, come to me. He says, come to me, Antonio, Keith. He says, come, come to me, Jessica. He says, come to me, Robin, Don, Sarah, so that you can sit with me be sent out to be proclaimers and demonstrators of God's kingdom and God's world. The invitation wasn't just for the 12, but it's to us, and it wasn't just for them, but it's for today. To be freed and to participate in the liberation of others. Let us follow in the footsteps of our forefathers and foremothers and say, yeah, yes. Don't know what all a yes means, but I know what it means for today and for this moment. And so I say yes. Yes. Yes, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this invitation. We thank you for the ways that you have called us the ways that you have invited us to come to you. For the ways that you have extended your invitation ever and always to us.
God, I pray that, um, that in this moment, whatever it is that you want to say or to do in us, God, I pray that you would say it and do it, and that we would listen, that you would find us courageous to respond. God, I pray that we would hear you calling our name, that we would hear it clearly, God, and that, that we would experience it as a comfort and as an embrace, not, not as something that might be fearful or to recoil from. Spirit, I pray that you would you would do what you want to do in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.